Hello, welcome everybody. I'm Gary Hickey from the Research Design Service uh, in the Southeast. And welcome to that co-production podcast, which is a, a joint venture between the Research Design Service Southeast and the Center for Engagement and Dissemination. And welcome especially to part two of this podcast, exploring the differences between patient and public involvement in research and co-production. And myself and Katie Turner are joined by Ollie Williams uh, in this podcast. And Ollie has a research fellowship from this institute and it's hosted at King's College University of London. And enjoy the second part um, of this podcast. Hello. Going into my next question, you make the point that some people do think that, the, you know, if there is a difference, the difference is one of degree rather than nature. Mm. And that's, can you say a bit more about that? Because for me, that really sort of focuses in on the sort of the real nub of the issue, if you like. Yeah, sure. Uh, to do that, I suppose it, we need to go back to the title and what we've already spoken about. So that that often quoted co-production is just really good PPI. OK, so that um, expression or that that truism is is one that's saying, you know, it's just different in degree rather than nature. Um, and I think that that's not helpful and it's problematic for a, for a, a number of reasons. Um, so the first one is, you know, the things that we've just spoken about, that there's different histories and theorizations. And so co-production in that sense isn't just one thing. So it then can't just be one other thing. Do you know what I mean? So it, there, there's that. OK, so there's that. But I think that's kind of an academic point, you know, that there are different theorizations. Blah, blah, blah. So that's more for semantic arguments or theoretical arguments. But the other thing, I think there's a really practical reason why that's not particularly useful, because this idea that it's just really good PPI falls into the trap of elevating co-production to being sort of a gold standard of PPI, um, which I think is not particularly helpful. So again, it, a lot of the time, I think it comes from like Arnstein's ladder, that like where, and you've got like co-production. I think that that can potentially be useful. I mean, it's it's being critiqued, but often the reason it's being critiqued is the way that people use it again, trying to elevate co-production as being that gold standard. So that ultimately, that's where we're trying to get to, and anything below that is kind of subpar, right? And I think that kind of thinking really isn't helpful. Partly because I think gold standards generally aren't really helpful there's there's lots of reasons for that but in this specific case there are different approaches to and methods of participatory research or participatory practice and so if you have this idea that co-production is just really good ppi it suggests that all projects ideally would be co-produced and I, I think that actually i'm not sure that is the ideal i'm not sure that that is the best way of doing things because there are practicalities in terms of what we want to achieve and what we want to do. And often I would say that decent co-design is enough to achieve the aims that, that need to be achieved within health research. So that elevation as a gold standard, I think is really not great. And so then on that, and this goes back to what you were saying, uh, Katie, really is that what legitimately passes as PPI within the space of health research is different in kind from co-production as understood 
outside of health research in terms of what it's trying to achieve and how it is attempting to achieve that. So this is really important because it fundamentally structures and informs not only what we do, but how we do it. And more to the point, defines our aims from the outset. So what's fundamental to co-production, as, as you just outlined in there, Katie, is this idea of radical power sharing. Okay? So, so this acknowledgement that there are imbalances in power and inequalities in power, and therefore there's an active decision and an explicit decision and choice that we're going to try and equalize those power relations in order to make decisions. So the decision-making process, in order to allow that to be co-produced, we would need to address the power imbalances that exist, right? So a lot of standard PPI practice doesn't give much thought to that at all. So think of, just think about really fundamentally, even though you've got involved guidelines for recommendations for how much to pay people, they are recommendations, they are not obligations. So we see lots of unpaid work in PPI. So even there, straight away, you'll have people in the room who are being paid to do something and people in the room who aren't being paid to do something. Now, I know there are some complications around people claiming benefits and if you pay people for PPI, but often I think that's used as a scapegoat for people then not to pay, legitimately pay people or people who can be paid. And obviously some people won't want to be paid, but there's that. Then there's, let's be honest, I would say in my experience, the vast majority of PPI I've seen is Lots of sitting in meetings, but not really having much influence, you know. So they, those people are there. They may contribute. But again, do those contributions lead to change in that project if they're useful? Sometimes, sometimes not. There's no guarantee over that influence at all. And who gets to make those decisions about what ideas are taken forward and not? And almost always that's the researcher, isn't it? So often playing the academic game actually means exercising control over those uh, who are involved so they are involved but the researcher doesn't get blown off course from what they intend to do really and that would be seen I would say if someone was talking about the dark arts of academia they would say you know you need to manage that situation don't tick all those boxes make sure people know that you're involving people and you can demonstrate that you've involved people but ultimately these are the things that you need to achieve and this is what you want to do so it at the very least gives the illusion that people have been involved and that's cynical and there is really good work that happens in PPI but there is also a lot of stuff that really it's being done because it has to be done it's a requirement that, that research has to involve those people and it's not necessarily there's not a huge influence of the people who are being involved as patient or public representatives and then on that as well you see a lot of very selective choices with PPI reps, what we might call, so, you know, the representatives. So a lot of the time you see malleable sort of agreeable folk who perhaps are willing to defer to the expertise of, of researchers. And it is quite common practice. I've seen it a lot where people pass around good public representatives. Oh, so I'm, I'm doing this project on stroke service, um, improvement of stroke services. And someone else is doing a project on, you know, services for, people who are getting access to mental health services and then it's like oh I've got a really good PPI person for you and so well, how, how how's that working what those two those things aren't interchangeable but I see that a lot and and what they mean by that is that I've got someone who will be constructive malleable you know those sorts of things and so, not wrong 
the boat too much. Absolutely. And you see that. And, and again, I don't want to, I do think in, in PPI spaces, sometimes I think that we can champion this idea that the reason you're there is to rock the boat. Anyone who's been in a boat would tell you, ideally, no one wants to rock the boat. Like, you want to stay in the boat. You want to get from A to B. You know, you don't want to drown. But it depends, though, in the sense of what sea are you navigating? So sometimes the boat will need to be rocked for sure. But equally, I mean, I don't love the expression because what do you achieve by rocking a boat? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like that doesn't help you necessarily get to the destination that you want. A better analogy might sh who shakes the captain rather than rocks the boat. I would much rather that the PPI reps, the public reps or whatever, had the power to shake the captain than to rock the boat. But, but they're not going to be able to do that if the people who are, if you like, in charge are, are, are making a choice over who to involve. Absolutely. I mean, one of the, you know, I was attending a sort of an event online fairly recently and, and there were some people from the survivor activist movement, which were very disparaging of co-production for the very arguments that you've just sort of described, you know, that there's no real power sharing and that the people that have really got the radical, or if you like, the means to, to make radical change and to suggest things that need to be doing to be brave enough, if you like, to put their head over the parapet, because that's mm -hmm. what it feels like just simply don't get the chance to get share that table because the people in the power it's very polarized sort of think oh we don't want these people because they're kind of against us you know mm -hmm. and there'd be conflict and there does seem to be this huge gap between the people that really need to be talking together and i i haven't seen so far away that the people who do have the power at the moment are managing to address that. I know we've gone off topic a bit, but I just think this is really... I, I think that's really important, Katie. Uh, but it does, because I'm, I'm always intrigued by, by that. We use the expression, rock, rock the boat. And I, and I guess I think co-production also involves a fundamental change in, in the role of the public members that are involved. And because I think we've all been on, on uh, uh, groups and working with people when... I want to use my language carefully here, but there are some public members who are quite explicit that will set themselves up and they will use the phrase, we're troublemakers. Mm -hmm. And I, I always find it slightly frustrating because I'm okay with rocking boats and, and indeed the captain being rocked and shaking. But I think co-production, going back to what we were saying earlier, Katie and Ollie, is also about taking ownership. And I think it fundamentally changes the role in good co-production of those members of the public because they've got ownership and you are then part of the, the problem and the solution finding. Mm -hmm. And it's about, so no, no, long, no longer can someone just critique and then sort of fold their arms and say, that's my bit done. I think it's then about you coming together, isn't it? Working together to generate knowledge, solutions, and all of those things involve those compromises. So I think it's a real massive change in, in the role. And of course, that doesn't negate uh, um, the other issues about who decides who gets into the room in the first place, which I'm going to come on to in a moment, Ollie. Yeah. So I think, yeah, there's a few points there. I think so. Again, in this metaphor of rocking the boat, I think the important thing then is to figure out what is the boat in that metaphor? OK, so I think that there is if, if that boat is the, the system of PPI, the structure of academia, absolutely, it needs to be shaken. 
but then it's at what level so often you have people coming in to to be on a project that you know is about the development of a new service is that the point at which they are best placed in that position to then change the whole structure of academia they're not but that that's why i talk more about sort of shaking the captain in that i want them to be able to challenge the person that they're working with and again it's really frustrating because I've, I've spoken to loads of very knowledgeable people about this as part of my research so i went around interviewing people who are involved in this doing this work and so it's frustrating because i can't say the name of the person who said this to me even though they deserve all the credit for it but as talking to them and i said well how would might you describe the different how do you know when you're doing ppi and how do you know when you're doing co-production like what what would be the difference and they said when you're doing co-production the you know you're doing it if the members who involved as public representatives or patient representatives service users they, they need to have the power to say no to things think about how this happens in practice you come you meet together as a group and then, then you engage with via emails but often it's you come together as a group you sort of have a workshop around ideas then you go away and then you have a never meeting and when you come back the researchers have often been working on the thing and then they come back and so when you come back to that second meeting and, and certain ideas are put forward, this, this is what we think, we've synthesized all of these, these are the, the key priorities and these is what we, this is what we think we should do. At that point, do the public contributors, do the service users, the patients, uh, representatives, do they have the power to say, no, that is not what we think should be happening and can we change it? Because I think it seems a simple idea and of course, we could critique it as well but if you think about that if they did have the power to say no then you really have sort of equalized the power there in the sense of because it's like no that's not what we think is important so then you can reorientate and go okay so what do we need to do instead why do you disagree with that and then you come up with the thing uh, come up with some solutions but then to go back to sort of gary's point i i agree in that sense of yes that we should be working together but i don't want to suggest that if we could come up with uh, with solutions to all of the problems we had often we wouldn't what we wouldn't even need to collaborate if we if we had all of the solutions ourselves i wouldn't want to do is that say if you're not um providing a solution you're not uh, an important i think sometimes just bringing up the problem is that's a really really vital role and just because you don't know how to solve that that's actually the reason why you should work together because you you can identify the problem but you don't know how to change that and I think that's kind of more the point of co-production for me is bringing to, together people who have different capabilities, uh, different capacities, different knowledges, different access to different people, different networks. And, tr and all of those people together could work in a way that would help you to a useful solution of something. One person's role might be just to bring up the problem, to identify the problem and be able to articulate that well. But again, this idea of sort of reveling in this idea of being troublemakers, I think that, that that identity is actually created because of a failure of the system. I think a lot of people who engage in patient and public involvement feel and have genuine experience that they don't really have that much power. So the reason you, are, you come to uh, embody that identity as a troublemaker is because the system's broke, it's not very good, and you feel that that's what you have to do. If there was a better system, those people wouldn't have to identify as troublemakers because they could just get in and do the job. And I think 
that's important, I think, to, to, to think about. Because, of course, yeah, it is frustrating when people seem to just relish this idea of being a troublemaker and then not actually practically contributing mm-hmm. a huge amount. That really reminds me of loads of experiences that I had, but not just in sort of involvement around research, but involvement in sort of service development. And and one of the things, sort of criticisms, if if you like, or observations I used to hear very frequently was, oh, we're not really getting the kind of input we need because people are coming along to these meetings and they're just telling their stories. And I'd say, well, that's because they've never been listened to before. And that's because they've never had a forum to say to, to say what's important to them. And it's only when they've been given that space, that initial primary space to be able to tell their story, that they're then able to then think about how that story connects with what they're being asked to work on. A lot of people in research don't get the fact that you can't just get people involved and set them a task to do if they're bringing with them a whole history and let's face it I mean my my experience comes from mental health so that's the only area that I can really talk about but let's face it it's a massive amount of discrimination and stigma around and lack of say in services around mental health even though there's been a very active survivor movement so you can't expect to get people involved without addressing those injustices and inequalities of the system. And that is what we don't do still. It's what we didn't do in involvement. And it's what I don't think we're we're really doing for co-production, which is why we're still not dismantling the power structures or even finding a method that works to dismantle them. Katie, on that point, because it reminded me of something you said earlier that I wanted to comment on, because I think it's really important is that So I I am equally very critical of co-production, but it's the way that co-production is currently being practiced, not necessarily the way co-production could be practiced. And I think that's the point, is that a lot of the stuff we're seeing being called co-production doesn't do the things which are fundamental to co-production. So of course we can critique it because, but it's not being judged fairly in the sense of, you're calling something co-production, but it's not. So it's sort of like, as in the chapter we say, you're kind of judging apples by the by the standards of oranges. We need people to, when they say they're doing co-production, to actually do the fundamental, like engage with the fundamental principles of co-production, because then we can judge it against whether it is. The big problem we have at the minute is there's lots of stuff that's being done, which calls itself co-production, but isn't actually engaging with the fundamental elements of co-production. And then we just waste loads of time, both academically, both um, through activism, both through engaging as represent- representatives, of basically having to say this thing is that you did isn't good co-production because they never intended it to be. You know, they, they haven't engaged with that. They don't know what they're doing in that sense. We waste so much time doing that. Um, and it would be better to go back to what Gary was saying earlier. If we, if people had to state the intention of what they were doing and the, and sort of saying why they're doing that it's off it would almost be more important than whether you can banner it as co-production or not to be explicit about why you're doing what you're doing and how you're doing what you're doing is more important yeah absolutely it's a real challenge Um, just wanted to ask you ollie about a couple of terms that you've used in in your chapter and you've equated if you like public and patient involvement describing it as sort of leaning more towards the technocratic and perhaps co-production leaning more towards the democratic 
I hope I've got that sort of right in terms of how that makes sense to you. But can you unpick that a bit for us and explain, you know, a bit what you mean by that in a bit more detail? Yeah, so, so in the chapter, we talk about the, the various rationales there are for doing involvement work or, or, or co-production, so participatory research. So what are the rationales behind that? And so generally, and it was Graham Martin's work who really put me onto this kind of way of thinking of it, there are sort of technocratic rationales, which are the reason you would involve people is because it would improve the, the research that you're doing. So, you know, if you want to design a better stroke service, it makes sense to talk to people who will be using that service, both as um, people who have had a stroke and carers of people who have had a stroke. And, you know, it would your service will be so much better if you talk to people and say, what do you need? What do you want? What are your preferences? And I think that's important. That one often gets forget forgotten. Preferences is, is also important. There are wants and needs, but also what, what would people prefer? I think that that is often forgotten, but it's also really valuable. If you go and if you go and have a treatment, if someone can meet sort of what your preference for something and if it costs them nothing, you know, between you can either do it this way or that way. So being asked about something before or after, I think it can make such a huge difference to your experience. So there's kind of those technocratic elements. And then there's what I described as sort of the more democratic elements, which are people having a say in sort of the services that impact them on. And, and so th this is kind of this idea, you know, we're all taxpayers. So we're all funding the NHS and, and therefore the NIHR. And therefore, we should, as people that live in a democracy, have some sort of power or an avenue to power or influence over how that money gets spent. Both are important. So I don't want to set it up as technocratic is bad and democratic is good. That is not what we're doing whatsoever. But I suppose the key to understanding this is, is, is a gender setting. So or the power to set the agenda, it might be a better way of putting. So who is deciding what funding is spent on, who is deciding what gets done and how it gets done. So in a lot of applied health research, I see the parameters of the problem are often set and then the best case scenarios and the answers or the solutions to it are co-designed. In a best case scenario, that's what's happening. I'm not knocking that work. That is brilliant, brilliant work. Some of the best work that I see done in our field is co-designed work where we have that there, there is identified by researchers problems with services or it might not even be researchers that have identified it but you know it might be around something like that there are lots of people going to get a checkup about something but we're missing there's things that are commonly missed so then the research might be into how do we make sure that that thing that's being commonly missed is actually picked up in these checkups because there's this frustrating thing of we've got really good compliance, lots of people are going for the checkup, but then this thing is being missed, that opportunity to, to pick that up is being missed. So how do we change that process so that it is being picked up? And then co-designing that with users, the health providers, and all of all the people that it makes sense to involve in that process. That work is so valuable focus there in terms of leaning into one of those perspectives or not is a more technocratic focus that the reason you're involving people is to improve that process and that is really good but if the emphasis was on the democratic rationale then this would lead to a much to much more power sharing so let's not forget that both ppi and co-production do to some extent exist to address what would be called sort of the democratic deficit 
in the political process. So, you know, you get your vote, but a democracy shouldn't be, I would argue, you get your vote and then you shut up for five years and then you get your vote again. That isn't what a functioning democracy should look like. It's about how are things done democratically in the short term as well. Like, how do you have, do you have influence over what happens in your local area? Do you have influence over the services that you use? Those sorts of things. The involvement and the participatory stuff is in some way trying to engage with that deficit between having your vote and having influence, which is a huge chasm, I would say, particularly if you're voting for a party that doesn't get in. So having a say over what happens in in that decision-making process is really important. So that would be around, again, if we're thinking about agenda setting, an organisation has funding that they're going to spend. How do we make the decisions over what that's going to be spent on? The more democratic thing would be, okay, who are we going to engage in this process? Who should have a say in how this funding gets spent, be involved in that process? Obviously, both the technocratic and the democratic are important. But we see in PPI that there is this leaning into the technocratic. And in some ways, that's useful, as I've already identified. I don't necessarily have a problem with that work. But in other ways, it does lead to fairly poor practice. So I see that in many instances, PPI is just engaged in as a way to improve recruitment to to trials. So they've not really given that much attention to PPI. Then they struggle to recruit to a trial. So then they're like, okay, we need to talk to people because actually people don't want to sign up to this trial. So let's go and talk to people. Is there any sort of democratic or ethical sort of to that? No, it's just someone trying to, to do their research. Are those trials important? Yeah, some of them are, definitely for sure. So we do want people to sign up to them. So that is important. But is it serving that democratic function? No. And also one of the things that we see a lot of is so recruitment, but also dissemination. So a lot of the time it's writing plain English summaries. It's translating what people like to call sort of academic jargon into something that's understandable for a wider audience. So again, I'm not knocking that practice, but a lot of people can tick the box for saying they did PPI if they've just engaged people in the recruitment and the dissemination of their research, but not over any of the decision-making processes that go in that. They're technocratic elements and they are important but they're not achieving if you're set out in your your role is to address these fundamental inequalities in society and therefore you'd want a more democratic or more radical because it's not always a democratic but a more radical approach then you might not do that or you you definitely wouldn't well you might do that but you do it as part of a much bigger process that's kind of the point and i would say that there's definitely situations where democratic rationale might have a dark side if we wanted to call it that what if the majority of the people that you involved wanted to do something that was you could say ethnic ethically questionable or definitely ethically or morally wrong so you know when when i was um have done some work and i've talked to people in communities and said like what's the problems that you face around here sometimes people will say you know there's too many immigrants and it places the strain on the nhs So is my responsibility as a researcher then to campaign to reduce immigration? No, it's not. Do you know what I mean? That there is an ethical dimension to that. And equally, not everything that could be achieved democratically will be something that we would say we would value or want to. So say like we sat down and we did a co-production process. We sat down with loads of patient representatives or loads of public representatives, service users. And we said, you know, what, what are the things that you want to do? What's important to you? 
And again, I stress, this is a hypothetical. I don't think people would actually do this, but say it's a theoretical, right? Say that people said, well, we don't like that the color of the NHS is blue because Labour came up with the NHS and why is it blue? That's a Tory colour. So we should rebrand all of the NHS stuff so that it's red rather than blue. So that might be what that group decides that they want to do. But I think that then we can go, well, there's, what was the technocratic value of that? Like, what do we actually achieve by changing everything from red to blue? So although that's democratically, you've achieved something, that that's what those people wanted to do. You could say, well, there's, there is value then of leaning more into the technocratic and saying, yeah, but that would cost us millions and millions to do, and it wouldn't actually improve the, the health of anyone, which is what fundamentally we have to do as funders. We need to always balance these cows. But I think the important thing is that so much of PPI is leaning into more technocratic understandings of the reasons why we're doing this, whereas co-production is often far more thinking about how do we give more power and more power to make decisions to communities and address inequalities that are existing. I mean, that's made me just think about something that's, that's always occurred to me, and it's a very simplistic way of putting it, so it's obviously much more complex than this, but I think sometimes there's an assumption on those that are involved, if you like, and those that are doing the involvement. If the people you're involving are saying a certain thing, then you have to automatically go with that and say, yes, you're right, well, let's do that. And it's not the case. Just because you're asking somebody's opinion doesn't mean to say that you are going to automatically do that. And to me, that's obviously a real challenge in involvement. And you address that to some extent by being very clear at the beginning about what the expectations are, what the processes are. That If you ask someone's opinion, it doesn't necessarily mean that what they say is going to happen. In co-production, the same, if you like, dynamic is there. But for me, one of the differences is, is that you engage in a, a discussion around that, which is much more, if that makes sense. You're saying that. And it may be ethically dubious or questionable, but okay, you're, you're saying that. Why are you saying that? You know, where has that come from? Where's your context? Where's your history with that? You know, come into the debate and bring that lived experience into the debate so we can understand a little bit more. And then perhaps we can move towards some kind of understanding or compromise. But unless you actually have that discussion and that listening which often doesn't happen in involvement because it's quite technocratic and you're very focused on specific bits of you know work and tasks it's task focused a lot of the time you know I think with co-production you, you should be having that debate and discussion in order for those nuances and dynamics if you like and complexities to be really sort of openly acknowledged and taken into the equation just following on from what you've, you've both said there, it's, it's made me think, actually, that the relationships you develop in co-production are different to PPI often. And, and I'm, I'm trying to put this in a, in a very kind of simplistic way because it's not that quite concrete. But I think going on the idea of technocratic with patient and public involvement, I tend to think the relationships you develop are, are much more transactional. So you are involving people specifically, I think, to... to improve the quality of your research or research instruments, recruitment, et cetera. I'm exaggerating slightly, 
And I think co-production, it's much more relational, isn't it? And, and I think you're, because you're after deeper, more trusting relationships, probably I would, I would suggest longer term relationships. And I think for me, that's another potentially way of distinguishing between co-production and patient public involvement, perhaps in a small way, but I, I do think fundamentally there is a difference in, in the quality, the depth of relationships as well that you are, you are after. Yeah, I think it goes beyond just the process. So once people are there, I think with co-production is looking at what are the inequalities that we see in our society and how might we address those through the work that we do. So, you know, so you would be going out into communities and talking to people about what their priorities are for their communities and what they what they want. Um, and I think that's important. So the point to stress with these rationales is that it's not one or the other. That's ridiculous. And what I was trying to suggest with those examples is that it's not that the democratic equals good and like awful points or like awful actions with just going solely down a democratic route. And I think Katie's point there, is, which is that often I think people roll PPI into PC culture, that, they're, that they think that what it means is that listening to everyone and doing everything that like keeping everyone happy and doing everything that everyone says. And actually exactly what Kate said, it isn't that. It's not that these people said that this is what you have to do and therefore you do it. And that's why I keep going back to, like I said, that what the person told me in an interview. I think it's interesting that they chose to say that it's that people have the power to say no, not that people have the power to say you have to do this, but they have the power to veto things. That is significant that is a difference that it's not saying we're definitely doing this because then that it, you're not co-producing anything at that point you know you're just saying that's your you've just replaced you just reversed the power role and you're saying well i've got all the power now but yeah you've got all the power but you've also got all the blind spots the other way around so researchers have blind spots that you know they might be disconnected from the experience that people have in a particular service or their, or a particular way of life but if you flip it around the other way and most of the people in the in the public will have a blind spot about what research has been done. What do we already know about this? And we know very often what you find in research is that common sense ideas about things aren't borne out in the research. So very often what we find when you go through sort of a scientific process is that the things that we thought were common sense actually aren't serving us particularly well. It's one of the things that we're seeing now because in, in the pandemic, you're seeing lots of people talk around just follow common sense. And it's like, actually, that's not massively helpful now because what my common sense is and what someone else's common sense is, our perceptions of what that is are different. I think that the other thing I'd want to stress with this rationale thing, though, is that one of the things I did when I uh, when we published another paper around co-production was I engaged with a public advisory panel. I've got them to read it and comment on it. And I thought what was really interesting is they said, yes, so you kind of articulated this idea that PPI may lean into technocratic and co-production may lean into democratic. And all of them said, when we engage in co-production, we are, we are massively motivated by achieving technocratic ends. So like, we want the service to improve. And that's, that's their motivation for getting involved. And I think it's important to think about that, actually, that people's personal motivations and personal experience because when we talk about these democratic things, we are talking about it at a sort of grand scale, that their involvement, so you, at that point, they could kind of be 
anyone who had that experience. It doesn't have to specifically be that person. Do people actually get stuck out of going, oh, because I'm here, this process is more democratic? Like, do people think like that? No, they might, but it's more likely that their motivations for getting involved is because they have a, an experience, often they've been harmed in a particular way, and that they want to make sure that other people aren't harmed in that way, so they want to help improve a system or a, or a service or a way of doing things or a way of seeing things. And I think that's important is to, to go, okay, so there are these rationales, and we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that both of them are important. But to get back to the bigger questions around involvement and co-production, I think that there is more emphasis on democratic or ethical or radical ideas of um, in co-production and involvement. A lot of the time you can see projects that their only reason they're doing PPI is that sort of technocratic element. And we should be critical of that in the sense of if we're suggesting that that involvement means the public had some sort of influence over that project, we're mis-selling what's happening there. So again, it comes back to stating what you're doing and why you're doing that. And then we're able to assess that, whether we want to critique it or whether we're, all, we're comfortable with that practice. Thank you, Ollie. Ollie, we've got one last question for you before we let you get on with your busy day. If there was one thing that you could wish for or change to further enable co-production, what would it be? I've tried to engage with this genuinely in, in the sense of trying to think of one thing, because I think that there are so many things that need improving at the minute that it seems like a daunting task. So yeah, if there are gaps in what I'm saying, please engage in the idea that I have tried to do this, limit myself to one. And what I think it would be is to make it unacceptable of a researcher or a funder or, an, or a research organisation to use the term co-production without articulating what they actually mean by that. With the competing definitions, with it becoming an empty buzzword really in many places, and there being a lot of tokenism and bad practice. And also on top of that, with co-production sort of fulfilling this role as a sort of a signifier of ethical practice. If someone says that they're doing co-production, their project gets what I would call like a halo effect. This idea that your work is more inclusive, it's more ethical than other people's work because of what the term co-production signifies within our context, within our working space. So I think it makes sense, both practical sense and it's ethically sound to expect those using the term to explicitly articulate what they mean by what they're doing from the outset. As in, when they say we're co-producing this, what does that actually mean? And there's a few things this would achieve. So it would stop wasting time, people having to waste their time judging a project described as co-production, but isn't actually engaging with the core principles of co-production by the criteria of co-production. That isn't a particularly useful task for any of us, because if something is described as co-production, but isn't actually doing co-production, then it's not a surprise, is it, that it fails to deliver on the aims of co-production. So this would avoid lots of semantic arguments that don't necessarily get us very far. Most importantly, it would give us something to hold people accountable to. People could no longer hide behind the sort of expansiveness and the vagueness of the definition of co-production. Because as I said, there is literature that you can draw on that has definitions of co-production. That means that patients, uh, service users, the public, be, uh, the public aren't involved at all. So they 
in terms of academic credibility, they can draw on that literature and say we co-produce this, even if it isn't an understanding of co-production that, that more broadly we would understand and within the remit of what involved did to pull in this, the reason you're leaning on that language now is to try and address some of the tokenism and some of the poor practice. It stops people being able to hide behind that vagueness and expansiveness. The reason to do that is because it lets people and funders get away with murder while gaining a halo effect. So they're committing bad practice, but they're being seen publicly as doing good things, which I think is kind of the worst case scenario, isn't it? If people are doing bad things, you want that to be as out in the open as possible so you can critique it. So often the term co-production is used to imply that research is more inclusive and emancipatory than it is. And I think that having to explicitly state what you mean by co-production at the beginning would sort of go a long way to stopping that. And I mean this to be applied to people throughout the research cycle. So from funder down to researcher. So lots of people are playing the academic game by using co-production as a buzzword, but doing very little at all to address the inequalities that the term suggests they are addressing. So my main aim of doing this is to push funders, universities, researchers to actually act on these inequalities rather than just using a term, so co-production, to suggest that they are, because that's great for their PR, great for their branding, when they're not actually doing that. Because if we go in to address inequalities, we actually need to be acting on those inequalities rather than just suggesting we are and actually not doing the things that we need that are essential to addressing those inequalities. Ollie, thank you so much for being such a great guest on today's podcast. And yes, thank, thank you, Katie. You. Oh, thank you, Gary. And thank you, Ollie. That's just masses of stuff to think about and uh, ruminate on. And, uh, and also really great to hear a lot of things that we've sort of discussed in the past being aired and shared and, and discussed in more detail. Yeah, well, th thanks so much for the invite. And I'm looking forward to listening to the, the whole series because obviously I've got a particular perspective and definitely got blind spots and I'm, I'm emphasising different things here. And it'd be great to see how this series develops and you have different perspectives and a more diversity of views and, and to see where, compare and contrast where we are and see where we're going with co-production. Ollie, thank you.